Hello and welcome to another mini-sode. Today we're talking about challenges plaguing the industry right now and strategies to keep your workforce engaged and in the loop. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm JJ Hutchire. And this is Rural Health Rising. So JJ, today I want to talk about um, an issue that's important to all rural hospital leadership and executives, um, which is communication. But particularly in light of what we're seeing in the industry today, right? Because we know that the healthcare industry is struggling. Hospitals and health systems are recording massive losses, some of the millions of dollars a quarter Mm -hmm. for many quarters in a row now. Um, And we're also still hearing about high rates of travelers due to shortages in staffing. Um, So with all of that, communication with your teams is obviously important. Um, So can you talk a little bit about, you know, initially what is going on right now in the healthcare industry? Why are we in the position we're in and how is that impacting our workforce? Wow, Rachel, all of that in like, I only have like 20 minutes or something crazy. Was that a loaded question? Yeah, I think that was. Well, you know, obviously we have, you know, discussed on this program uh, numerous times before about the significant financial losses hospitals are experiencing and it doesn't matter the size of the institution rule huge facilities you know massive hospital systems with you know dozens of affiliate hospitals um, there is uh, this understanding that healthcare during the pandemic struggled and it was propped up in part by some of the payments that were given advance payments and et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those had to be paid back. And now hospitals who were going into the pandemic with losses propped up during the pandemic now are coming out of that, paying right. those payments back and watching as volumes sharply decline mm-hmm. and are not back to where they used to be. So it, that coupled with utilization in ancillary services um, have, you know, the perfect storm with what's occurring, the great resignation. Mm-hmm. And so you add all these factors in, Rachel, and the supply chain costs have increased, uh, the cost of labor has increased, and all of that's happening at the same time. The payers aren't paying you more. Right, exactly. So no one's coming to the table saying, we recognize that your nursing staff cost X amount more and that your contractors for hospital right. services and ER services are more. And that supply chain, just look at supply chain alone for right. a lot Inflation. of our rural hospitals. Inflation has caused those parts that we order, mm-hmm. supplies that we order to increase exponentially. And at the same time, that cannot, like it does in the free market economy, be given and transferred to the customer or right. for our case, the right. patient, you know, if Where you, our pricing is very inelastic in healthcare. It is. And you know, the guy at the grocery store is going to pass that cost on to you. Mm-hmm. So you're going to pay the difference and his margin remains the same. Our margin changes. Right. Uh, and it, and it doesn't change for a positive, right. Uh, you know, we are posting, uh, you know, losses in, in healthcare, uh, record number of losses right. and record number of anticipated closures that are going to happen over the next uh, few years. And mm-hmm. so uh, that's occurred because of this perfect storm. When you look at the cost of doing business in labor alone, you know, with the great resignation, nursing to even environmental services, you name it. Right. Uh, everyone is demanding more. Uh, and they're looking at, you know, the hospital systems as the deep pockets. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you, Rachel, that happens because there is this 
misunderstanding that we have unlimited resources and cash because after all, I get my statement that says that was a $60,000 visit, right, right. but they don't understand through the contractuals. I received $8,000 for that or whatever that number is based on the insurance company that we negotiate with. And so uh, it's a fraction of what your charge was Mm -hmm. of what I collect. And unfortunately, I can't as much as I can even say that now that that visit was 90,000. Right. The, it the doesn't payers matter. Are, You're still going to get eight. They're paying me the eight. It right. doesn't matter right. how much I tell you it was worth right. because it does increase. So those all of those have created that perfect storm. And the pandemic, believe it or not, it slowed it down. Right. And it did right. that because it did it, because of all that government funding. It and it kind of masked the actual impact of covid on healthcare operations, in my it opinion. Did. I, I think agree. it delayed anyone realizing the actual effects um, from an operational perspective, aside from, you know, those of us in, you know, offices and, and boardrooms and hospitals yeah. around the country who are looking at those numbers more closely, you know, but in general for the industry as a whole to take a step back and be like, whoa, 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 yeah, we are not in good shape. I think the funding from COVID masked that and made it harder to see on a broad scale it did. how much in trouble the industry yeah. no, is right. now for lack of a better word. Yeah, and and I know you're choosing your words wisely, which is important because you know, you don't want to create the sense that, you know, healthcare is is done as we know it in America, but it is, you know, it's it's a very tense time. And when I say choose right. your words, you know, carefully, you and I have to do that every day because if we instill some type of panic in our staff or our community, can have some very dangerous outcomes right. and right. repercussions for years to come. So, you know, when you talk about community Communication, I think that's the key. But before we get to communication, you know, it's it's you come out of the pandemic, you've had, you know, a couple years of propped up payments right. that now you're faced with the reality of paying those back. Uh, now, you know, during the pandemic, all we were communicating and generally speaking in healthcare was COVID, 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 COVID. Right. Uh, and a lot of the other communication uh, techniques and tools and uh, they they all went by the wayside. Right. Because we everything were so, was kind of down to the not the bare bones, but the absolutely necessary. Yeah. Because there was so much shifted to focus on COVID. Absolutely. Rachel, we were talking about washing your groceries. You know, that was the topic. <laughs> we weren't talking yeah, about, yeah, you know, growth strategies or, you know, communication right. techniques or patient engagement. A lot of those things really suffered because mm-hmm. hospital administration, you know, like in rural health, we have a very small bench, right? which means right. that, you know, you and I are up at 11 o'clock sending draft back and forth of news releases and edits yep. and mm-hmm. preparing for the next day, uh, you know, of communication. I was and up so, here at 10 o'clock at night sticking yeah. signs on doors. And yes, that's what we did, right? Yeah. We had to do that. So, you know, a lot of things fell. And unfortunately, one of those things uh, was communication and communication as it relates to interdepartmental and interhospital communication. Right. It was kind of like everyone had their head down. And so yeah. we just were trying to work and push and get through it. And then... Once the the pandemic has, you know, ended or waned, then you kind of stand up straight and look around and it's like, okay, what now? Yeah. Well, you know, and and so one of the things that I prided myself on during this past three years was uh, I'm a writer. And you're an editor, thank God, because the two (laughs) the two of those marriage up very nicely. But, you know, I write 
and and I believe in you know a strong presence of written communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know I've I've worked for individuals who do not like uh, to put things in writing, and um, I like to memorialize things in writing. I think to mm-hmm. me it's very important. And so my most common uh, form of communication is to reduce it to writing. Uh, you memorialize it, you get it in front of your people, and then you can have dialogue around it. And And what we have witnessed during COVID is that you can't depend on the old ways of just even written. Right. You have to communicate in every way. So social media, mm-hmm. video recordings, in-person meetings, written communication that you follow up from all of the above. Right, right. And it is labor intense. It is. It is it is the most labor intense uh, job I've ever held is this job because your communication goes in so many different areas. It's Mm -hmm. communicating with physicians. It's communicating with the patients. It's communicating with the payers. It's communicating with the public. It's communicating with your staff. And the list goes on and on. And so it is in every one of those has a nuance to communication. Right. You can't share with the community what you're sharing, you know, with your staff members and the patients need to hear something different as well. So multiple forms of communication for me. Uh, I believe what is so important is that communication is the key to this industry recovering. It's how are we telling our story? I think the right. greatest opportunity before us, Rachel, is to tell our story. And we do not do that well in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, other people tell their story. You hear, you know, school teachers tell their story and other industries tell their story. We have not told our story like we need to. And in specifically, as we look at telling our story, uh, it's telling the story about the challenges that healthcare is is facing right now impacted by payers not paying to cover the cost right uh, the the lower number of patient contacts it is the volume decreases that we're experiencing mm-hmm. and the and the the depletion of the day's cash on hand which puts a lot of hospitals in jeopardy and so right. communicating is is essential to letting your staff know where the plan of action resides. And so for me, you've heard me say it before. Uh, it's a Bible verse where there is no vision, the people perish. Right. And so it is my job as a leader to, to cast the vision and to establish what that vision is for the organization. Now that's input from leadership, input from board of trustees, but it really, it, there is no communication department. Right. You are the chief communications officer, but you're not a department, right? You're a function. Right. And so it, I don't say, well, Rachel's in charge of that. We all own it. And right. when organizations filter that only to one department or person, that's dangerous. Right. I believe the ownership rests with the senior leader, his or her responsibility to communicate the vision, the mission and the values of the organization at every chance written, obviously, department meetings. Uh, being present in community and community events. Uh, it is very taxing, but you have to tell the story. And one of the things that I think we're challenged with, Rachel, into this future is what story are we going to tell? Now, right. there's some stories being told across the United States. Number one, since 2010, 140 stories of hospital closures. Yep. And I know that CEOs who are who have spoken recently to friends of ours who are doing kind of a story, a backroom story, uh, speaking to other administrators whose hospitals closed, their story is a story of despair. Yeah. A story of discouragement, a story right. of I wish we would have done more. Uh, and and that's you have to hear that story. I really believe right. that it's the bad news that makes the good news really good. Yep. You got to hear the bad news. The bad news is that in these communities, those rural hospitals, generally speaking, rural hospitals have closed, impacting for decades the economy of that community, the health outcomes of that community um, and in the wellness of that community. So tell our story. 
through championing the voice of those leaders and staff who've gone through a closure, I think it's important that we hear right. their voice. And I think it's important that, you know, you hear the perspective of what does a closure of a hospital mean in our community? And I think, you know, that perspective is important. But another perspective is, you know, telling what is without that vision, there is no hope. And and surely the people are not going to feel, you know, whether it's the community, whether it's your employers, that there's that there's hope, right. that there's a plan. And when CEOs just devise this plan with their board kept in a secret chamber and are not communicating what the plan is, I think it's very dangerous. And now we run the risk on the other side, right, of releasing information that's maybe too free flowing. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, as a communications officer, what are the dangers of putting it all out there? Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to strike that balance between keeping your teams informed and making sure people don't feel like they never know what's going on, right? We hear things like that. Um, We want people to feel like they know what's going on. And at the same time, we don't want to share information that if someone were to then share it publicly, it could be detrimental to the hospital and our ability to function and operate and move forward in our community and care for our patients. So we do have to think about that. Um, the other thing is, you know, we put out things like, well, let me kind of explain our communication structure, because when it comes to our internal communications in particular, I feel like we've in the last maybe six months kind of found our sweet spot and how we yeah. make sure that all this information is yeah. going out to the relevant I think parties. it's pretty I think it's pretty awesome. I think the it's cascade really, of information. Yes, yeah, that's what I was going to talk about. So we have what we call our communication cascade Good. where after the board meeting every month, after JJ talks to our board and and Mark, our uh, CFO, um, the pertinent information from that then is shared with our entire management council at our management council meeting, which happens the following Wednesday. So board meeting on a Thursday night, management council is the following Wednesday, and all of our managers hear that. Well, and even before that, our senior leaders would hear anything that they weren't already apprised of on Tuesday. Wednesday, it goes to all management then I believe it's on Friday, it would go to President's Exchange, is that right? Yep, and that's sure a group of frontline yep. team members yep. who have a monthly meeting with JJ as the CEO um, to stay engaged and informed and also bring forth any concerns or questions or ideas from their departments and kind of represent their department on that level. So it goes to President's Exchange. It also goes to your CEO coffee hour, which yes. is specifically a face-to-face with providers Um, That's not for everybody. That's just for the providers. So it gives them kind of a dedicated time to have some face time with you and you're able to share with them there. And then also through our organizational update, which is kind of the last piece of this cascade after all of those in-person meetings have been held and people have received that information on some level in person, then we send out the organizational update, which is essentially an email newsletter Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. all of our staff. Mm -hmm. But it is detailed. It is. Um, that's part of why you're a writer and I'm an editor. Because sometimes yes. I think it's too detailed. And you you're do. like, no, we got to put all that in. No. So we have to go back and forth on that sometimes. And you usually win. And but. that's okay. That's your job. <laughs> but that's cool. But uh, that whole process, I think, is, in my experience, is somewhat unique. I don't see that level of transparency and that thorough of a process to make sure people are informed. And while I may be, you know, helping to execute all of that as the communications officer, 
ultimately, the fact that we are doing that at all is based on your leadership, because as CEO, you have to say, yes, I want this kind of information to go to staff. There's almost always a financial update section in the organizational update that tells people from a financial perspective, how are we doing as a hospital? Um, That's important, too, because our annual report, for example, that comes out once a year. So the story that's told in the annual report, and it also comes out, you know, six months after the end of that previous fiscal year Mm -hmm. because of the process of some of our meetings and things like that that we do. So people may see that, but then six or eight months down the line, we're not necessarily in the same position, good, bad, or indifferent as we were when the annual report came out. So that's part of why that financial transparency is important, especially with staff, because People who are in healthcare do this because they care about patients. Right. They want to take care of people. They want to take care of their community. And to be able to continue to um, inspire and motivate our team, it's important for people to know what are we working on? Why are we working on it? What's really going on so that they can be as invested as they want to be based on the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. So that situational awareness, I think, is important and if we don't provide that situational awareness, we are robbing our team members of the opportunity to step up to the plate when necessary in yeah. their department or in their area or for the organization in general. Yeah. No, I, I firmly b- believe in in the mission uh, of communicating every which way that you can communicate. And, you know, I've done uh, in 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 another realm of my life uh, as a minister, I've done marriage counseling for couples and mm-hmm. it it never ceases to amaze me. The couple that will come in and either the husband or wife will go, well, why didn't you tell me that we were in financial you know, distress? Why didn't you tell me, you know, six months ago that we couldn't pay these bills? And what I find is that that element of surprise leads to very dangerous outcomes. Right. So to communicate like you do in your marriage about your bills and your your thoughts and the challenges of your household, you also have the resp- I have the responsibility as a leader to shepherd that process right. here as well. They right. our employees should know. Now, you and I both know we were in a meeting and our chief administrator also goes, let me see if I get this right. We just released a press release, you know, a few months ago saying that we made money last year and now we're going to tell the staff that we're losing money. Yes, that's healthcare. Right. And right. you know what? I and hope to be writing today especially next month about gains right. and profits. Right. But well and the whole point is we have strategies to manage the situation and we want employees to know so they have the opportunity to be a part of it. That's right. To be a part of the solution and to be a part of the process of coming out of this stronger and better than we've ever been before. And if they have involvement and they have a stake in what we're doing, they deserve to know and understand the big picture. Right. Absolutely. And and we have to empower them, though. You know, they have to be they have to engage in the conversations, you know, with their coworkers about why the hills to way. Right. And, you know, there is not a week that goes by that I do not hear at my last hospital we had runners at my last hospital we had patient right. care techs at my la- and unfortunately either those hospitals have closed or right. in major financial peril and it's like well you know unfortunately that model doesn't work in rural health we have right. to do all of that right so you know uh, Rachel why don't you talk a little bit before we close out the session and we were talking about communication can you talk a little bit about what our strategy is with Hillsdale Strong, Hillsdale First, and yeah. why we did what we did and why that name? 
yeah. So um, we just this week. Uh, yeah, because when this is airing, it will have come out just this week. We sent out a video to all of our employees that JJ had recorded here in our studio to create that situa- situational awareness to outline what's going on in the industry what's going on in the state of Michigan, and then what's going on here in Hillsdale. And I like the way you structured that, that you kind of narrowed that funnel down to Hillsdale to help people understand the big picture. Um, And then went into a discussion of our, um, what are we calling it, a campaign or or a a process, which is is. Hillsdale Strong, Hillsdale First. So Hillsdale Strong was our kind of, our hashtag that kind of became a a slogan or a mantra during COVID. Um, And now we're kind of in the continuation of that or the next phase, you could say, that is Hillsdale Strong, Hillsdale First. So the idea is that internally, we're focusing on Hillsdale First. We're making sure that we have tight referral patterns so that our patients are getting the care they need here. And we're giving them the best experience in the process of being handed off from a primary care to a specialist to an ancillary service, whatever it is that we're making that easy on patients and we're prioritizing our services for them. Why is that handoff so important, though? I mean, I guess if I'm listening to this podcast today, you know, if I isn't going just to my doctor enough for the system, I mean, what if I want to get my surgery at like a big, because big is better, right? Yeah, right. Okay. Sorry. I thought you had a stroke for a second there. And then I realized you were joking. Setting setting you up. Um, Yeah. But, you know, it's important to make sure that for your organization, you offer all of these services. Other places may offer them too. But if you're telling your patients, oh yeah, wherever you want to go, then you're creating the opportunity for people to leave your healthcare system. And as we know, and we experience here even, a lot of times those bigger health systems, when someone goes there for anything, then we never see them again because they schedule them only for their (laughs) follow-up services and all of that stuff within their own system. Absolutely. Which would make sense because if you're providing care to a patient, you're thinking to make this as streamlined as possible for a patient Keep it all within the same place, the same organization, the same medical record, the same billing process, all of that. Um, But when you happen to be 45 minutes to an hour away from that patient's home, that doesn't necessarily apply in the same way. Um, So it's important for us to do that for our patients to make sure that we are really giving them that, I I call it white glove service, by saying, hey, we can get you hooked up with an appointment here and getting those things done before they leave, if they were in the ER, for example, or before they leave. And and a lot of this we do already, but um, to to put more of an emphasis on it as part of Hillsdale Strong, Hillsdale First, also making sure all our employees feel like they have ownership and the success of our organization and are part of a team and part of the wins that we have that they feel like they Mm -hmm. share in that Mm -hmm. success um so that's kind of our internal focus for hillsdale strong hillsdale first patients still have choice though right oh yeah yeah. okay because if we say hey we can get you set up with an appointment for with dr patel our orthopedic surgeon you've got a shoulder injury he's the shoulder guy you know does this day or this day work for you if the patient says oh well i've had shoulder surgery before and i want to go to my surgeon dr so-and-so in who knows where yeah then you would say oh okay no problem we'll get you the paperwork you need right you know but um unless the patient says this is where i need to go it's we're gonna make this easy for you yeah one stop Right. And we're going to get it scheduled. 
And we're going to make sure that your x-ray is done in advance of that. We're going to make sure that your primary care and your specialty care physician gets a copy of that. And it's coordinated through our system, which is, again, that mentality of one stop. Right. And I think that is so important. I mean, I like that, right? I mean, if you didn't develop a robust and um, very broad continuum of care to make patients have to get bits and pieces here and there, right? That's not why we do that. We do that so we can make it easy for them, so we can make it streamlined for them and help them to have the best experience. So that's that's the internal focus that we have. And then our external emphasis is on patient preference. So obviously we want our patients to choose Hillsdale first. Have to give them reasons to, right? want to be the place that they want to go, right? Right. Um, So that's part of it, as well as being a workplace of choice. We want people who are looking for a job to choose Hillsdale Hospital first as the place that they want to go, the place they want to apply. We want to be the place that people want to work. We want to be the place that people in Michigan who are looking for a healthcare job say, I want to go and work at that Hillsdale place. I wonder if I'll get in. You know, absolutely. We want to be that uh, that workplace of choice. And then lastly, we have a fundraising focus as well. And that's focused on a one million dollar capital campaign so that we can engage our community in this process and, you know, solicit their support in order to continue to improve our technology, get the equipment we need to give our patients the best care possible. Um, And then also we are renewing a focus on donor development as well. And how can we work with people to have the opportunity that if they have been blessed with much and they want to give yeah. and share that and make an impact with financial giving that we give them opportunities to do that. So it is a, you know, multi-pronged approach um, to how we are managing the current situation that we're in in the healthcare industry. How is this impacting Hillsdale and what are we doing in order to continue to sustain our organization and continue to sustain the type of care that our patients want and need? And I'm so excited, Rachel, and I believe this is going to be a fantastic journey. It's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be quick, but the opportunity that is before us is we get a year, a year and a half uh, of an opportunity because we do have, you know, cash on hand as a hospital, you know, it allows us to weather the storm. You've heard the phrase, cash is king. Right. Uh, And a lot of hospitals are not in the position we are. Some of my colleagues have days of cash on hand, which means they don't have time. Right. I mean, the the handwriting's on the wall. We have to turn this. Uh, obviously, it's an industry problem. It's not a Hillsdale right. problem. We right. have to turn this industry. We're just industry. not immune from it. No. And we're I, in better shape than a lot of other places. We are. Too, even, even with, you know, the financial challenges we're facing. Absolutely. Not just with cash on hand, but, you know, we know people around us who are, or hospitals around us that are not just bleeding, they're bleeding out. No, it's bad. It's really bad. And there is no quick fix. Right. I mean, this is uh, an unfortunate situation. But, you know, obviously... Raising awareness at the state and federal level, you know, if you're listening mm-hmm. today and we've you're, got some other uh, projects we're cooking up in the yeah, pipeline we related, are. related to that. We have to awareness and advocacy, too. We have to. And I think, you know, what we're talking about for a, a major event. Uh, in which we assemble some great minds together mm-hmm. and talk about how do we approach this from, you know, we, we're, we have plenty of seminars on how to take care of our patients, give them the best care possible, high right. quality. We'd have, we have conferences for CFOs about low cost and reimbursements. About operations. Yeah. But, you know, now we have to get down to the business of preserving and saving healthcare right. in America. Right. And that involves a strategy, a strategy that requires attention at the state and federal level. Mm-hmm. Which means that our policymakers, our congressional leaders, 
our state leaders have to be on board with us to understand that if they do not have good health care in their communities, patients will suffer. Medicaid plans, health plans will suffer because the costs will be too high to maintain those plans. Because if there is no local health care, these patients will wait to get their care. And when they get their care, Rachel, they're going to be in much worse condition than they would have been had they got that care locally. So a lot of challenges before us. I'm excited. I think communication is a key to our industry uh, in terms of taking us beyond the scope of where we are today. I think that uh, a, a plan that's memorialized, a communication that is you know, succinct, that it is direct, that it is you know, inspiring, is very important in leading the industry today. Thank you for joining us for today's mini-sode. If you have a topic or issue you want us to cover on a future mini-sode, shoot us an email at marketing at hillsdalehospital.com. You can also find Hillsdale Hospital on Facebook and Instagram. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.